0: Welcome to the Collective Church podcast. Collective is a church for the rest of us, which means if you have never been to church, walked away from church, or are struggling to find a church you connect with, you belong here. To learn more about Collective, you can follow us on social media at My collective Church or head to www.mycollective.church. Now here's Sunday's message. Happy fourth birthday, Collective. It is, it's hard to sum up four years in one video, but I think that did a really good job. Um, I think it's important to point. That first uh, video uh, was our first baptism ever in Lake Linganore, uh, a woman named Janine, who's still part of Collective Kids. And so if you drop off kids back there, you're like, that girl looks familiar. Uh, but four years ago, we launched, in, uh, we launched this church in the gym of West Frederick Middle School. Pulling a 24 foot trailer with 7,000 pounds of gear and a team of 50 people, we turned that school into a collective church for the first time and anxiously waited to see if anyone would show up. And I remember walking to Lobby around 10 a.m. and it was completely full. Not full of our launch team and their kids, but full of strangers who were excited about a new church starting in Frederick. Excited about a church for the rest of us. Excited about a church that's not just for themselves but for Frederick. Four years later, we've seen God move in incredible ways. I mean, we have our own space, which is just unreal. We made it through 52 weeks of only being able to do collective online. We've collected just under 60,000 pounds of food, and last week we celebrated our 97th and 98th baptisms as a church. We've seen marriages get healed and grow stronger. We've seen prayers answered. We've seen addictions broken. We've seen faith restored and so much more. It has been an amazing four years. We had no idea what God had in store for this community when we launched on September 17th of 2017, but we are so thankful for what God has done and what he will continue to do because we know that God is not done with us yet. And every year we get to do this is a gift from God. Over 30% of church plants die by year three, and 20% more will die by year four. And Collective hasn't just survived, it has thrived, and the truth is that's worth celebrating every single year, right? Like, we should be celebrating this. So that's why we go big on our birthday. Um, That's why we're gonna go big over the next six weeks. Really, you're not gonna wanna miss a week from now until Christmas. We've got a lot of great stuff planned. Um, But we are so thankful that you're here to celebrate with us. Um, We're so thankful that you are a part of this church, and we're thankful that you are allowing God to move in your lives and in this community. Um, And so I'm gonna pray uh, for the year to come and that God does immeasurably more than what we could ever ask or imagine as we head into year five. Will you pray with me? God, thank you so much um, for what you've done over the past four years in this church, God. Um, To be honest, when we look back, there's just, uh, it's remarkable. um, To move from a school to uh, being homeless to a building to, to watch people for four years put faith decisions in your hands to watch families grow and marriages grow and, and people grow in their faith, God, uh, we don't take that lightly. And God, we're just so humbled by what you're doing in this church. Um, but God, the truth is we just ask for more. Um, God, you say that, that we will get immeasurably more than what we could ask or imagine. And God, that's what we want in this church and this community and ultimately God in our lives. So that's what we pray for as we head into year five as a church. Um, God, do more in this church and in this community and in this city and in our lives than what we could ever have expected. That's what we ask, and that's what we hope for, and that's what we pray for. God, we love you, and pray these things in your name. Amen. So when I say the word home, what do you think of? Maybe you think of family. Maybe you think of Thanksgiving dinners and Christmas mornings. You think of the home you grew up in and the memories that you made there. Or you think of the house that your parents still live in that, that you moved out of years ago. Maybe home is something that you're working really hard to create, with your own spouse and your own children. Ultimately, the idea of home can bring feelings of warm and fuzzies, feelings of joy and hope. But for some of you, home isn't that. It's a place full of pain. It's a place that you can't go back to. It's a place where you experience some of the hardest moments of your life that you are still processing through today. It's something that you've longed for in your own life, but don't have it yet. The idea of home can elicit a ton of thoughts, And feelings and emotions, some good and some bad. And today we kick off our home series, and here's what we want you to know up front. Collective is a place that you can call home. It is a place where you can experience Jesus. It is a place where you can belong. It is a place where you can grow. It is a place where you can experience grace. No matter where you are in your faith, whether you've been following Jesus for years, you just started following Jesus, or you still aren't sure about this whole Jesus thing, collective can be your home. And over the next six weeks, I'm going to share with you all the values of our church. These are the things that make collective, collective, and these are the values of who we are and who we are striving to be. And the first value we're going to talk about is the one that you feel as soon as you walk in the door. Over the past four years, I've had friends and other pastors, and even many of you, come to Collective on a Sunday and come up to me and say, this place just feels different, right? There's a vibe and an energy that I haven't felt in other churches before. And to be honest, at first, I just figured it was the music that we played. I was like, we're just cooler, okay? So that's what that is. But then I realized that the vibe is happy people. The truth is, the vibe is that it's people who actually want to be here. The vibe is people having a feeling of belonging. You see, psychologists have discovered that the sense of belonging is a human need just like food and shelter. We are meant to have connections to others, to know that we are not alone in our struggles and difficult times. And when we have a sense of belonging to a greater community, it improves our motivation, our health, and our happiness. That's the vibe. And that's the value that really sets the tone for everything that we do here, our value of you belong here. At Collective, you belong here means that we are real about our brokenness and real about how Jesus is changing our lives. You belong here means that I'm not perfect, but I'm honest about that. You belong here is being real about our struggles and our sin and realizing that we're not alone. You belong here is about addiction, loneliness, pain, failure, insecurity, anger, and the list goes on. And You Belong Here is all about Jesus because it isn't just about what has happened or what is happening in our life. That's part of it. It is ultimately about what Jesus is doing in our lives, what Jesus is restoring in us, what Jesus is redeeming in us. So we are real about our brokenness and real about how Jesus is changing our lives. And so every person that walks through the door, we try to help them understand that they belong here. That's the vibe. That it doesn't matter how lost, messy, dysfunctional, jaded, or broken you are, this church can be a place that you call home. And this is a culture that Jesus created in the community that he built. One of the best examples of this comes in a story from Luke five. And here's some backstory leading up to what we're gonna read today. So in Luke one, the angel Gabriel visits the Virgin Mary and tells her that she's going to give birth to the savior of the world. In Luke 2, Jesus is born. In Luke 3, we actually fast forward 30 years, and we see that Jesus is baptized. In Luke 4, Jesus starts his ministry on earth, and he begins to preach, cast out demons, heal people, and do all kinds of miraculous signs and wonders. And then in Luke 5, Jesus starts to build his team. He essentially starts to call people to come and follow him. And it starts with three fishermen named Peter, James, and John, and continues with a man named Levi. Check this out in Luke 5, starting in verse 27. It says this. Later, as Jesus left the town, he saw a tax collector named Levi sitting at his tax collector's booth. Now, for some reason, I always picture Lucy from the Peanuts when I read this Bible verse, right? Like he's sitting there, and it just says tax collector at the top. But this detail is really important. Luke, who is actually writing about this interaction, points out that Levi is a tax collector, to let everyone know just what type of person Levi is. Tax collectors were hated during Jesus' time. Tax collectors were traitors. Culturally, uh, Jewish people bunched tax collectors together with criminals, murderers, and thieves. You see, the way taxes worked during this time was that there wasn't really a set tax rate that everyone had to pay. Rome didn't institute a standard for taxation So what Rome would do is they would actually auction off the right to collect taxes to the highest bidder in a local city or town, and then whoever won the bid was responsible for collecting a certain amount of money and then sending it back to Rome. But the deal was, whatever the tax collector could collect above what Rome wanted, they could keep. So that's how tax collectors made a living, by cheating other people out of paying more taxes than what Rome actually required. So the Jewish people didn't like tax collectors because they were greedy and manipulative. But they also didn't like them because in the Old Testament, God had promised the Jewish people that the land they were living on would belong to them. But because they were under Roman occupation, the tax collectors were helping Rome keep the Israelites under control. And so they despised tax collectors for robbing them and stopping them from receiving the land that God promised. In fact, tax collectors were so hated during that time, in Asia Minor, archeologists have uncovered two statues where inscriptions have said, to an honest tax gatherer. And apparently there's so few and far between that if you were an honest person who gathered taxes, you were immortalized with a statue in your likeness. But Levi wasn't wasn't one of those two guys. Levi was greedy. He was manipulative. He took advantage of people. He stole money from his own neighbors in his own community. All of that so he could live the lifestyle that he wanted. And Jesus knows this. I mean, for goodness sakes, he's sitting in a booth that says tax collector at the top, right? Like, he, he knows who Levi is. Okay, the booth didn't, I, I tried to find pictures of the actual booth. It doesn't say tax collector at the top. It's just the guy sitting at a table, maybe. But Jesus knows who Levi is, and he still looks at him and says, follow me and be my disciple. Now, this is a weird interaction. Right, was Levi around Jesus when he was preaching and healing people? Did Levi have a look on his face that said, please call me out? Like, we don't actually know. In fact, Mark, Mark tells the same story in his biography of Jesus, and he adds no additional details. All we know is that Jesus is simply walking out of town, and he sees Levi and says, come with me. There are no qualifiers. There are no stipulations. There are no guidelines. It wasn't once you get your life together, come find me. It wasn't, you're too sinful to come with me right now, so straighten that crap out and then come back to me. It wasn't, you're too broken to be with me, so don't even think about it. It was simply, follow me and be my disciple. Here's the truth about Jesus Jesus doesn't care what you have done, he still wants you to follow him. And this is really important. Jesus knows that Le- Levi is a liar. He knows that Levi is a cheater. He knows that Levi is a deceiver, and he doesn't care. I mean, yes, Jesus absolutely wants Levi to live a different life, but Jesus understands that in order for Levi to live the life that God has for him, it starts with Levi following him. I once heard a pastor say it like this, Jesus doesn't call the qualified, he qualifies the called. And the same is true for us. Jesus knows what we've been doing. Jesus knows what we are doing. He knows that we are liars and cheaters and sinners, but he still calls us to be in a relationship with him, and it's on us to decide how we respond to that, just like it was on Levi to decide. So this is what Levi does in uh, verse 28. It says, so Levi got up, left everything, and followed him. Now, I am not an impulsive person. Um, I don't like surprises. In fact, I hate surprises. Uh, If you were to ask me today, hey, do you want to go out to lunch after church? I'd be like, no. Like, I don't have enough time to think about it. That's too much of a decision. I don't make big decisions on a whim. I'm a planner. I love spreadsheets. I love data. So I don't understand this decision from Levi. Last August, I was hanging out with some friends, and we started talking about the food that we missed, because the pandemic had shut down so many restaurants. And you guys, you can judge me, but you did that too. We pretty much only talk about food when we hang out. And my friend Chris brought up one of our favorite college restaurants, Bar Burritos. And I've talked about this place before. It is a burrito place predominantly in the South, and it is heaven on earth. It's like Chipotle if Chipotle was actually good. And yes, listen, <laughs> no, you, you think it. You're just not saying it. And and I'm going to tell you this, it's better than that random burrito place that you're going to come up and tell me about after church today, okay? It's it's better than that, right? There is nothing better than Barb's. They have the best queso, the best chips, the best sweet tea. They have this Chipotle ranch that is from the Lord himself. And we were reminiscing about this on a Friday night, and and we were thinking about our time in college when we used to go to Barb's, and my friend Chris said, we should go. And then we all laughed because the closest bar burritos is 250 miles away, and that would be insane. But then Chris said, what if we took a road trip to pick it up and bring it home? And some of you are thinking, some of you are extroverts and are like, I would do it. You haven't even been to Barb's and you would do it. But most of you are normal people and you're thinking, this is a terrible idea. Like, why would we do this? Why would we drive six hours one way for a burrito in a pandemic? That's 12 hours in a car. And while my brain said, this is really stupid, I don't know why, but my mouth said, let's do it. So that Friday, Chris picked me up and our friend CT at 5 a.m., and we drove six hours to eat a burrito in Johnson City, Tennessee. Then we picked up a catering order, and we drove it home, and everybody at Burritos thought we were absolutely insane. And maybe we were. But sometimes you just have to change things up. Right? Sometimes you just have to take a risk. Sometimes you just have to do something that doesn't really make sense on paper. And I think that's what Levi is thinking I genuinely believe that Levi is looking at his life the way I look at Chipotle, and he's thinking, there has to be something better than this. <laughs> God did not intend queso to taste this bad. <laughs> but seriously, I think Levi is thinking, life has to be more fulfilling than this. Right? I think he's thinking, this is my opportunity to do something different. And So when Jesus says, follow me, he jumps at the chance and he walks away from everything. He walks away from money, he walks away from power, he walks away from control, he walks away from his old life and he follows Jesus. But that's not even the best part of the story. Let's keep reading. Later, Levi held a banquet in his home with Jesus as the guest of honor. Many of Levi's fellow tax collectors and other guests also ate with him. And so Levi's so excited that he throws a party for Jesus and the guest lists include the savior of the world, three fishermen that he just met, his coworkers and his friends. Right? This is not the who's who of Nazareth. This is Jesus eating with a bunch of broken, messy, jacked up people. And the religious leaders of that day had something to say about it. But the Pharisees and their teachers of religious law complained bitterly to Jesus' disciples. Why do you eat and drink with such scum? In the book No More Dragons, Jim Bergen points out that the number one question Jesus is asked by religious people is why do you hang out with those people? Right? Why are you with them. It's not who is God. It's not how do I get to heaven. It's not what is the purpose of life. It's why do you hang out, eat lunch, and become friends with sinners? Jesus answered, healthy people don't need a doctor, sick people do. I've come to call not those who think they are righteous, but those who know they are sinners and need to repent, people who need to turn their life around. He says, I eat with these people because these people need me. I eat with these people because I came for these people. I eat with these people because I prefer these people. I eat with them because I love them. Now, if you're like me, if you've ever read this story before, maybe this is the first time you've heard it, you're probably imagining everything from Jesus' perspective. And that, that makes sense. It's like when you read a book or watch a movie, you focus on the main character. Right? So you imagine Jesus sitting at a table at Levi's house, or maybe you imagine him walking out the front door, and there he is face-to-face face with a crowd of self-righteous religious people who are watching with disgust, and one of them shouts out, why do you eat with those scum? And then Jesus looks the guy dead in the eyes and says, healthy people don't need a doctor, sick people do. And he drops the mic, and all of his boys are like, oh. That, listen, you've you got to read your Bible and imagine some more things, okay? <laughs> but if you've heard this story before in church, you probably were told that the main lesson of this story is that you need to live like Jesus, and you need to love lost and broken people uh, that are in your life like Jesus did. And that's true. Um, we, we should absolutely 100% do that. But what if we relate more to Levi in this story? Right? As, as much as I want to be like Jesus, I'm way more like Levi. Right? I'm the sinner. I am the liar and the deceiver. I am the person that religious leaders would call scum. So I want to read this story again but this time I want you to stop thinking about it from Jesus's perspective, and I want you to think about it from Levi's perspective. Right? Imagine you are that person that cheats and lies and hurts other people, and you just walked away from that life to follow Jesus. And while you don't actually know what your future holds, you're excited. So excited that you throw a banquet for Jesus in the home that you paid for with the money you stole from your neighbors, and you invite all of your friends. Because of that, you're nervous, But Jesus walks into your home, and he sits down at your table, and you can tell that there's just absolutely something different about him. He might actually be God. He treats you with honor and dignity and respect. He treats you better than anyone else ever has. And as this amazing night draws to a close, the religious leaders show up. And again, put yourself in Levi's shoes. But the Pharisees and their teachers of religious law complain bitterly to Jesus' disciples, why do you eat and drink with such scum?" Right? And the truth is, they're looking right at you when they say those words. And while it stings, you understand it because deep down inside, you think you are scum. So you look at Jesus to see how he's going to respond. Jesus answered them, healthy people don't need a doctor, sick people do. I've come to call not those who think they are righteous, but those who know they are sinners and need to repent. Right? Imagine being Levi. Imagine being his friends who showed up at a dinner and this guy named Jesus is standing up for you, right? Imagine, he says, these are my people. I love them. I came for these people. He looks at Levi, he looks at you, he says, Levi, you belong at this table. I know who you are. I know what you've done. I know you are ready for a change. You belong here. This is where you belong here comes from. It isn't something that we made up. It's something that we have learned from Jesus. It comes from the moment where everyone else is trying to tell Levi that he doesn't belong with Jesus, and Jesus stands up for him in the same way that Jesus would stand up for you. He would eat the same meal with you. He'd sit down at the same table with you. He would tell you the same thing. You belong here. It's what Jesus says to us when we're at our lowest. It's what Jesus says to us when we need him the most. But here's what we can't miss about this story. This interaction between Jesus and Levi never would have happened if Levi didn't choose to leave his old life behind and follow Jesus. You see, in order to let Jesus begin to start working on your life, you have to get up and follow him. And just like Levi, you don't have to have your life together. You don't have to have perfect faith. You just have to let Jesus lead. You just have to decide to put your faith and trust in Jesus, and some of you are in that place, and if you are there today, here's what we want you to do. We want you to check the baptism box on your digital connection card or head to Next Steps to talk to someone and, and fill out a baptism form, and Danielle will talk to you this week. Because Here's the truth. Some of you are ready for that life. Some of you, when I read that story for the first time, you weren't thinking about Jesus because you understand who Levi is. Right? You understand that intimately because that is you. And some of you are ready for that change. Some of you are ready for something new. And that is what Jesus offers. But the truth is, it's up to you to get up and leave your old life behind. June 5th, 1944, the 101st Airborne boarded planes to begin their initial invasion for D-Day. Two of those soldiers were medics named Robert Wright and Kenneth Moore. As medics, they were trained in the United States not to shoot and kill people, but to help those who had been injured in battle. And as the 101st Airborne made their way through the dead of night to their drop zone, enemy fire forced them to jump out of their plane miles away from their designated spot. They landed in Engleville, France at 3 a.m. on June 6th, D-Day. To make matters worse, the medical supplies that were supposed to be with them got dropped in another location, so all they had on them was the medical equipment when they jumped out of the plane. Initially, everything was calm, but as you can imagine, German soldiers quickly found American soldiers and vice versa, and fighting broke out. Robert Wright sized up the situation and found an old church in Engleville and made the decision that the church was going to be where they set up their medical headquarters. He went inside to make sure it was safe and found that it was lined with wooden pews that were about the size of a person, and they were perfect for caring for the wounded, As the battle waged on, the two medics took turns working on patients, and then heading back into the field to find more wounded soldiers. And because they had a red cross on their sleeve representing medic, the soldiers on both sides of the war respected that. In fact, at one point, one of them went out into a field that was lined with American soldiers on one side and German soldiers on the other. And because they respected the medic walking through with a red cross armband, they immediately stopped shooting so he could receive the injured soldiers and get them back to the church. By 10:30 a.m. on D-Day, the church was packed with wounded. The stained glass had been shot out. A missile had been dropped in the middle of the church and cracked the stone floor, but luckily it was a dud because it would have leveled the whole place. At one point, a German soldier burst through the doors with a machine gun, but when he realized that there were medics treating wounded soldiers from both sides with no regard to nationality uniform, he lowered his weapon and he left. After 36 hours after they first landed, the fighting had ceased in Engleville and the soldiers moved on. But before they did, Robert Wright and Kenneth Moore had treated over 80 soldiers, many of them German. After the war, both men received a silver star and Robert Wright received three purple hearts. They were heroes. But here's why I tell this story. If you go to Engleville, France today, it's a town of about 50 people, the church is still standing. And here's what happened. As Wright and Moore were cheating soldiers on the pews, blood was getting everywhere, and the blood soaked into those wooden seats. And after the war was over, the soldiers were gone, and peace was restored, the people of that town, the people of that church, didn't replace the pews. They didn't sand them down to get rid of the blood. They actually varnished over it. So now you can go to this small church in Engleville, France, and see the bloodstained pews. And this is the best picture of church I have ever heard in my life. The people of Engleville built that church in the 1100s to be a place of healing and hope, and that's exactly what it was. So at Collective, we want to be a church of bloodstained pews. We want to be a place where if you are hurting, if you are alone, if you are empty, if you are confused, this can be a place where you heal. It doesn't matter what you've been through, It doesn't matter what you are doing. It doesn't matter what mistakes you have made. This is a place where you can find grace. This is a place where you can belong, where you can be real about your brokenness and how Jesus is working in your life. And so here's what we want you to know. If you are divorced, you belong here. If you are addicted, you belong here. If you are constantly battling mental illness and sometimes you just can't get out of bed, you belong here. If you walked away from faith years ago and have lived a life that you aren't proud of, you belong here. If you have doubts, if you are a liar, if you are a cheater, if you are selfish, if your anger gets the best of you, if you struggle with self-worth, self-doubt, or self-harm, if you are just worn out, if you are just looking for something better in life, you belong here, you belong here, you belong here. Collective, we are messy we are broken, and we are sinners. But Jesus is working in our lives. And if that sounds like you or something you want in your life, welcome home. Let's pray. God, um, we fully understand what it's like to be Levi. God, we understand what it's like to live a life that, um, that we aren't proud of. God, to live a life that hurts other people, to make decisions that put ourselves first. But God, we also understand what it's like to be sitting at our booth one day and thinking, there has to be something more. And God, we see you. Uh, Maybe it's at church or through a friend. Uh, Maybe we read something and we, we think, maybe that's it. And so, God, as we read this story of Levi and we resonate with what it feels like to be a lost and broken person searching for something better and you calling him and saying, you belong here, God, that is what we want in our lives. God, that is what we want this church to be. We want this church to be a church of bloodstained pews where messy and broken people can show up every single Sunday and find grace and find you. So God, I pray that we can be that church. God, I pray that we can be those people. Ultimately, God, that we bring you and your love to this community every single day and every single week. God, thank you for the ways that you love us. God, thank you that you call jacked up people like us God, thank you that when other people look at us for what we've done and call us scum, you call us loved. God, we love you and pray these things in your name. Amen.